Hi, my name is Jameson Locasio. And I'm Adam Ambrosio. And welcome to the Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, where you can see everything Halloween Boutique and Psychotronic coming right to you at 1,000 miles per hour, in your eyes, in your ears, and everywhere else. This is a dill pickle, a mighty pretty pickle, especially when he joins you at the show. We have lots of pretty pickles waiting for you at the refreshment center. They're plump, tender, mouth-watering. Wouldn't one taste good right now? Hello, welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A. and with me in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you, sir? Doing better today. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Uh, And in the province of Alberta, Canada. Hey, everyone. It's Sean. I hope you're doing well. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Now, uh, folks who are new to the podcast, Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews does a... uh, uh, usually once or twice a month when we're uh, we're uh, not doing um, some side podcasts, which we're doing at the moment. But uh, basically, we do about two two episodes a month, uh, sometimes uh, four, um, and we basically review uh, genre films. We interview, we uh, review books. Uh, so we, we do all sorts of things on this podcast, anything that uh, interests people who like anything from superheroes to horror to fantasy to science fiction to midnight movies to art house films. Uh, we do it all here. Uh, tonight we are actually uh, going to be joined by, by a couple of folks because uh, they have a new movie. And we actually uh, have talked to these folks before. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself? We have a writer and a director. And actually in this film, um, both of them directed uh, segments because this is actually a horror anthology. So uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself? Yeah. So hi, my name is Jameson Locasio, uh, and I'm a director of a couple of the segments in this film, How Dark They Pray. Also, a co- I should say, also a co-writer. Yeah, uh, my name is Adam Ambrosio. I am a producer, co-writer, and one of the directors of the anthologies, and uh, also a composer. Excellent. And uh, before we uh, talk about this film here, uh, let's do a quick refresher. Um, you guys did another feature-length film, like uh, how long? ago but was it within the past two years anyway and uh it got pretty good reviews and uh we actually loved it here uh me and barrett uh on our side podcast dark discussions podcast uh had it as a top 10 horror film of the year that year uh, why don't you let folks know what that film's all yeah. about yeah uh, um what what that one was about yeah well thank you wow that's a what's, honor first of what's all, it called too that. what's it called it's called uh, <laughs> it's that one was called no fear that's k-n-o-w and then F-E-A-R. So that you can look that up. That's still on Prime right now. It's also just been released on Plex and on a number of other uh, major uh, platforms again, actually. so it's I, I like saw it's on Tubi, too. Yeah, it's coming out on Tubi. It's It actually might be there already now. Yeah. Yeah, listen. Um, catch this film. It's good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, so we did that, and it went real well. And, you know, we were talking about doing an anthology, I think, even when we spoke to you guys last time. That's kind right. of how this uh, formulated. Yeah, yeah. I think, and we started filming right around the start of COVID, and yeah, we 
finished filming right in the middle of it. Yeah, um, so basically. Yeah, been... It was like, you know, that summer period after, it was like kind of after No Fear, but it was still kind of quite a little bit of a ways to go because we had a lot to put together in this um, with such a small team. So we kind of, you know, we did a couple one-day shoots, but we spaced them out over long periods of time to really get each story focused and to just worry about one at a time. Um, so that's kind of was our approach for this one. Yeah, well, the, this one's called How Dark They Pray. Um, most of us, uh, meaning the three uh, co-hosts here, uh, went into it um, blind. We didn't read any um, you know, uh, IMDb note about what the films but we didn't see a trailer uh all we, we knew is that it was called how dark they pray and um that you guys had done no fear which uh once again was uh listed as a top 10 uh horror film uh for me and barrett on the dark discussions podcast um so uh the first thing obviously is um, for anybody who's going to watch it, and we already kind of let folks know, is that's anthology. It's it's uh, so so. Um, if people were thinking that it was going to be uh, a full feature length film, like they know uh, it is, but but it's a much bunch of different stories, multiple stories, and uh, we have a lot of questions on on some of them. Uh, you you guys just gave us a little background that you did them during the middle of COVID, which was when when you uh, recorded and filmed uh, a lot of them. But um, we we do have some uh, things that we want to talk about. Uh, so let's go around to Sean and Barrett and myself. Um, we we listed here six stories, five major ones, I guess, and, and then a prologue, a pre or a a pre. Well, four stories and then a montage ending and a prequel story, right? I, I think that's what we got, right? Yeah. So Sean, which 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 was your favorite of of all those? Uh, I think I like the Encounter Nightly one the the best, and I kind of I don't know if you guys will ever look at doing that, but even doing like a prequel for that story I think would really be interesting because I I thought the 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 two actors did a really great job you know being those people trying to chase stories and you know are you dealing with people who are lying or are they are they believing what they're seeing so I, I just thought it was that was handled really well thank you yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i just want to say off of that usually it's uh what's cool about adam and i is we've been working together for so long this was the first time um we actually switched places and i was the producer for him being the director and i think he did such an excellent job of directing it um and i felt I felt it was important that the found footage before we really thought about Adam as, as directing that, that we had somebody do it that really loved found footage movies um, and really wanted to do it the right way and do it justice. And I felt that that wasn't me because <laughs> I come into things with a little bit of a different approach or whatever you want to say, I guess, studying film. But Adam always loved like paranormal activity and a lot of great movies. And he really brought the right stuff for that one. So I agree. It's definitely like, it's what I think is the audience, um, the acceptable, you know, like the audience favorite. It's got all this different elements to it. So I, I think he did an excellent job. So I just want to say that as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, the, um, the production was, as Jameson said, we took our time with everything. So with Encounter Nightly, we had uh a lot of time to, you know, get everything right. 
And to make a, a somewhat of a smooth transition, you know, into directing, because um, I'm not really the type of person who likes all eyes or people coming to me for like everything. But being in this small little cabin, and it is, it's not even a cabin, really, it's a small little room, <laughs> and you have, you know, everyone looking at you waiting for the next thing, it gets, you know, your, your heart starts racing and, you know, thoughts go in your head. But to tell you the truth, Jameson and everybody on that set was great, um, very professional, and they understood that, you know, this was, you know, the first time directing, and, you know, they, they made it really enjoyable. And it was cool. So I think it's really just that, you know, everybody was aware of that and willing to say, yeah, let me help out a little bit more or put in that extra effort because they want to make it look good really came through. Yeah. And uh, and we, you know, we were able to try a lot of new things on uh, How Dark They Pray. We definitely, uh, especially for the found footage. Um, yeah. We it's our first time. Utilized yeah. iPhones and whatnot. Yeah. That's right. And uh, other things. So it was really cool. What did you it was, it was utilize? Good. Sorry to break in there. What did you utilize? Uh, the uh, iPhones. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. The angles were using an iPhone. Yeah. 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 And and that's cool because you hear stories of other films being done with like iPhones and whatnot, and you, you want to try to do it to, to make a challenge. And uh, Encounter Nightly was a challenge, I think, because it was. Yeah. Big yeah. time. I mean, it, the iPhone allowed us to like get in places we couldn't get into and kind of put that into character and stuff like that. And I mean, and Jeff Ronan and Paul Pilata were excellent. Yeah. You know, really building those characters quickly because um, one thing that I think Adam felt really strongly about, but we had sort of tried to work on the concept for, you know, like how do you get to know these guys really quick um, and sort of like them hopefully, because that just makes, I think the whole piece, the whole movie that much more important. So it was kind of like pressure on him that I try not to put on him, which is let's, get everybody into these guys and then maybe the rest will kind of just fall into place. Um, and I think, yeah, they were really ready for that, you yeah. know, and they did a great job on the back of that truck, you know, being natural. And we shot so quickly too. Yeah. I mean, that was not easy with that many people in such a small space um, for the ending too. So. Yeah. So to, to uh, explain it a little bit for uh, the listeners, uh, this segment uh, is basically um a uh like a youtuber and his cameraman uh go out and and do um stories about um you know like in search of stuff that spock used to do back in the the 70s i may outdate a lot of people but uh (laughs) basically go out and investigate uh all sorts of uh weird phenomenon uh missing people ufo sightings bigfoot things like that is, is what i i generally got and uh they um, uh, have a, a, a story that they follow that may not lead to uh, a happy ending. Um, so, uh, Adam, you actually, uh, yeah, right, exactly. So, Adam, uh, you actually, uh, you too, uh, Jameson, you, did you guys do any cameos in, in this this part, this segment? By any yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's it's what I thought. a recurring theme somewhere like, uh, yeah, I think in his first film, Midnight Catch, I was behind the bar. Twelve years ago. Yeah, and then the yeah. depths. I was sitting at the bar. That's right. And I guess now I'm, I'm still behind the bar, <laughs> but it's a, it's a pizza parlor. So That's I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll take it uh, as long as I don't have to do anything crazy or whatever. 
I'm fine. He if, was great. If I, if I need to fill in that shoe, those shoes, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be the pizza guy. You know, he's not really an actor, so I could say this straight up, and it's good, better coming from me, I guess, but, or maybe it's easier coming from me, but I thought he did a really good job with that. But he also had a great idea of, like, you know, having these little, I guess you could say, vignettes or moments where they're kind of talking to regular people. And it's like, oh, that's a great idea because they're just so, you know, people are just so not with it and like aliens and like, I'm trying to make pizza here. So that was so funny. And so I think he did a great job with treating those regular people. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about and you don't know what I'm talking about. So that was good. Sweet. Yeah. Now, what was your, well, that one may have been your favorite too, but, but. Besides that one, uh, what, what what are the stories that uh, actually? You kind of like, you well, I have, I have a hard call between the Blood Beach and uh, Nelly, but Nelly wins out for me. Uh, it's just kind of Gonzo crazy. Um, it's fun. It's funny. It, it held my attention really well, um, and it's just yeah, my favorite part of the movie. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah. Well, so we'll talk a little bit about Nelly. The, the interesting thing about Nelly was the, I mean, Adam and I were really sort of developing this in the same vein as No Fear, you know, how can we do something that's kind of like Carpenter, that's kind of like this, that's serious, that takes these Lovecraft elements and really immerse people into the fear of what's happening and create that. And um, my father, actually, funny enough, was was the one that brought us the story to Nelly. And he said, you know, what if you kind of do a spoof on this and you know, make it kind make it like psycho, but take it a step further. And I thought that was so great. And, you know, shout out to him. That's why he's on as writer as well. Cause he really did. I mean, it was his story. Um, and then he said, you know, I don't want to be involved really in the, in the development of this, but here it is and see what you can do with it. And so I think he was surprised when, you know, basically we went out and wrote it, but I don't, I would not have put it in because I thought it was so it was so wacky and so out of nowheres, unless Adam encouraged me um, to say, hey, this is something we should do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, credit to him as the, as the producer, because it was a crazy creative chance no. to take on it. Yeah, no, uh, when, when Jameson brought it to me, uh, I read it and I was just like, what the hell is going on? Here? <laughs> but I liked it. And uh and you could see a lot of Jameson's influence, you know, in terms of Evil Dead and Psycho. And it, and it was really cool because I was able to see the progression of Jameson in, in, in his madness to, to horror films. He's become so in love with them. It's great. And to see that transform into Nelly, you know, because of his influences is really cool to see. And so really, I didn't want to touch anything. I wanted it in there because, you know, it's it's like a nice dessert. It leaves a good taste in your mouth at the yep. end. You get the blood, you get the guts, you get, you know, what you would think of like the horror film. And and there, I think that's the thing with How Dark They Pray. There's a little bit for some, everybody, you know, with it. So This one kind of felt did. a little Rob Zombie-ish to me, too. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I you got mean, the clowns, you got the kind of side humor. Yeah, it it was a tricky movie to direct because you're kind of trying to pay. Like for me, it was a real challenge as a director because I don't really do comedy like that much, I, I guess. And I think the thing was really looking at like how those movies were executed, like, you know, His Girl Friday and like looking back at Hawks, but then also looking at, you know, Chaplin, what works about him. And then then also looking at Hitchcock um, and trying to sort of understand how those things come together. But yeah, there was sort of an attempt to get it 
to also be modern like Evil Dead and Rob Zombie's a good example and have it have that type of like gritty sort of trashy energy to it that makes it work, which is so against what Hitchcock was about. Um, so it was a de- it was definitely a challenge. Like, oh, now I got to Adam said I could. I, it's good to have it in here, but now I got to direct it. Oh man, so it's kind of like that. And it was shot entirely in one day. So I mean, with no really, you know, yeah. very limited crew. So. Yeah, we only had a, a three person crew. It was Jameson, yeah, um, our sound lady Nicole Rakowski, who was excellent. She was with us from the beginning. Yeah, and uh, and myself, and you know, even for Nelly, I think it was just them two. Uh, I wasn't really uh, on the set. I was doing something else. And I felt like, you know, Jameson and Nicole, they got it. You know, <laughs> a camera and uh, sound equipment and everything else, they're good. And it, and I was very happy with it because it really was Jameson's, you know. And, it, and, it, and I'm happy with it. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we set up this little basement and, you know, we had all the lighting planned and everything. So let it and let it happen really quick, um, you know. Yeah. And so, it, we you know, we just kept it simple. But... Also, so much credit goes to those actors because, I mean, David Johnson and Alicia Spielman were so perfect. They worked well together. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we wanted them to, uh, you know, I mean, we wanted them to channel those psycho characters, but kind of make it their own. And, I mean, she really owned that chainsaw and, like, all all that stuff, (laughs) you know, where it was like, oh, that's a cool character in in herself now, too. Um, So, yeah, credit to them as well. Yeah, and our neighbor as well, uh, who, who lent us the car. Yeah, the car. Uh, the car was big time. We we this uh, gentleman, uh, uh, Russ. Uh, we just happened to we. Re- I realized like, wow, we don't have a nineteen, you know, whatever car. We, let's we'll take anything, nineteen forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. We're not gonna match the psycho car. Um, but then we happen to be driving past, you know, like a neighbor over here, and we're like, that guy's got the car. Like it's pretty much the car. Yeah. <laughs> And he's been uh, working on it for at least like two years, so yeah. it's, it's, it kind of worked out. It's like, mean, yeah, same job. He took it and pushed it out for us, and then <laughs> yeah, and, and we did he get credit in those credits for that car? Yeah, good. I wasn't paying good enough attention, yeah. but I'm glad he got credit. Like, though. hey, we don't have much of a budget, but if you could do it yeah. for this, and you know, maybe just an hour of your time. And uh, he was, yeah, he's like, all right, yeah, sure, you yeah. know, let's do it. Yeah, it was really cool. The whole uh, production was really cool. Yeah, we had a lot of great people like that. Um, we had a gentleman also who was up in these cabins that he rented that gave us, like, all the locations in the movie, other than Nelly, pretty much. I mean, um, yeah, right? So yeah. that was a great get, too. Little stuff like that along the way. So let me ask you about uh, Blood Beach. Um, the, the, that was my favorite, actually, and... Um, I, I want to ask if this was just my imagination or was there a scene where our lead characters is standing on, on the lake beach, uh, or maybe even, maybe it could have even been Long Island, so I don't know. Um, in the distance on the other shore, there was some sort of wedding or ceremony going on. Did I, did I, or was that just something I'm imagining? Was there a wedding? Or an event going on, I, probably. Uh, yeah. Probably, maybe. I, w- I would say no, but I would just say no straight up. But there was a group of people who came in and like started doing some kind of celebration, like when we were supposed to be leaving. Yeah. Maybe. So I can't say definitively no. There might be something in there, uh, but it was not uh, something that was 
planted. Um, sure. And sure. I would I would be happy sure. to say there was anything. Maybe we caught somebody's leg or something somewhere, but you know, yeah. that's an interesting question. But no, not in yeah not, because uh, because at, at the beginning, uh, fairly early, he. You're you're uh, focusing on the character, and he's you know he's doing the monologue or talking or whatever. And in the background, on the other side of the the lake, um, I it looked like there was some sort of ceremony. And I thought after rewatching it for a second time, I thought maybe that was intentionally planted there, because as we find out what goes on near the end, that maybe that had something to do with yeah. well, what we'll say this. You yeah. know, the whole story was about. We wanted to shoot it in a in a place, you know, it was the ocean or something that had this, uh, you know, real stretch onto the horizon forever. We felt that was important. But once we saw that location, we kind of liked that there was another landmass there because there's something very strange about it. And we started sort of playing into you know, what is the opposite side of the water? And that was a lot in the directing and the shooting of it. So it, in that way, yeah, it was very much intentionally done. Now, I mean, I, I now I understand, the, you know, exactly what you mean. Um, there was definitely the feeling that this kid is, it's always in terms of him in the water, but kind of this feeling too, I realized when watching it is there's something about beyond that body of water too. Like, what is it about that place? And how many other connecting pieces are there? So it's an interesting point. And I think it's great if people do imagine that something's there because it kind of is what I felt when I was watching too. So that's very fair. Well, it's very interesting good, in, in Blood uh, Beach. Oh, sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, 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 please, please go. I, I, I was just going to ask, there's a scene with a log that looks almost like an arm <laughs> that I thought was really cool that you focused on that thing. It looked really weird. Like the log yeah. was strange. Uh, we, we found this tree there that kind of reminded us of like the poster from the conjuring, you know, or, and it had a strange vibe to it. There was kind of this presence of like exactly where that beach was, was like an important place. There was something about it that was strange. Yeah. And we definitely kind of honed into that as being like, it's gotta be here instead of someplace else. Um, there was something a little like, yeah, like climactic about that. It's like, what is, what is this about? It's just like a strange tree right here. And it, it just seemed like something had to happen there. So yeah, I'm glad that that was felt as much as yeah. we felt it when we were there. So, yeah. Um, now, uh, uh, Sean, Sean, um, what, what, what do you got? Uh, I know, uh, you saw the film, uh, uh, maybe a couple of times as, as I did. Um, what, what did you want to talk about next? Uh, I was going to ask, I think Adam, you had mentioned that you did the score as well. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering with, you know, the, you know, the process, because usually it's very rare to have a director or producer or whatever also doing the score. Like the one of I would think of would be John Carpenter yeah, and adding his own touch. Right. So I was wondering what is the process when you're, going through and deciding the music and score and stuff uh, when you're actually doing it, as opposed to when you're working with you, you bring someone in. No, oh, well, pretty much I write everything. So I, I haven't had the opportunity to bring someone in to, um, to do the, uh, the scores yet. Um, but I'm always open to that because uh, I, I feel like it's a, you know, it's good to collaborate, and I and uh, it, it'd just be nice to do that with the other uh, musicians and composers. But um, usually the process is 
um, I'll procrastinate a lot, <laughs> and um, and then I'll it'll just hit me. I don't think uh, I go in with any uh, preconceptions or any or anything in in mind really. Um, when, I'll just watch the movie repeatedly, and I'll just figure out a moment that I'm feeling or what I think the audience should be feeling. And um, and I think I like to do it subtly. I like to do it minimally um, because I feel like it's it, – I'm trying to understand what the actor or the situation is or the person is feeling is complicated enough. So I think the music should – at least compliment that without being too heady or too grand and especially for how dark they, uh, they pray. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much just procrastination and I'll just keep on, you know, one day, maybe it's like two or three weeks before it's supposed to be done. I'll just start noodling on the keyboards and, uh, and just play from there. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll comment on this as well because I'm outside of that process, which is great. I love having nothing to do with that until I just see it um, because I think it gives you a, so much more of an honest opinion on it. But I mean, he does such great scores that it's to the point where I could just walk in and watch something that he's done. And it's absolutely incredible to see how it's, you know, a movie suddenly. Um, so he's, you know, it's, it's really... Uh, it's very much just a talent straight up. And I, he has scored very fast before, but I think that's also in his, not just his skill sets and his talent, but I think he does think about things. Um, procrastination is a funny word, you know, maybe it is that, but I think it's also, you know, he's, he's sort of downloading and putting together every element of what that could be. And I mean, I think about this in like a, you know, a Hitchcock or a whatever, you know, a twilight zone and everything else. And he really brought, um, all of those elements, including this great like uh, monster movie type score to it as well. Um, so I, I think it's great. I'm always in awe of watching him do that. I mean, we, we do everything ourselves. Like Jameson does the editing, uh, the camera work. And so we're all in-house. So really trying to like build those skill sets up is really important for us. And, uh, and the movie was, it was a little bit of a challenge because it was a three-person crew. And uh, there was a, a lot of new jobs that we were doing, yeah. you know, for ourselves. And it was pretty good. I, we're very happy with how it turned out. We, we learned the uh, very good way of scheduling, you know, our shoots and how to really. Yeah. So a whole different it. approach than something like No Fear. Yeah, and definitely no the Fear, opposite approach. That was like totally different. And we can go on about that for days. So we won't bore you with the details. <laughs> Oh, different than doing something like that. And a lot more free, I guess you could say, as well. Yeah. Thank you. And I did enjoy the score. And I'm a person who, watching movies or TV shows, whatever, I really got attached to the score. So it's nice to, to be able to enjoy that and to hear your guys' organic process of doing it. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you. you brought up Carpenter and... Uh... And really, yeah. that was really what clicked for me because I was always brought up on movies and I had the thing on Laserdisc when I was a kid. And originally, I just wanted to play music. I wasn't thinking about movies. I wanted to play in a metal band somewhere and just do that. <laughs> but when, you know, when I met Jameson and he opened up, you know, films to me in the whole process and then 
reflecting back, it's like, oh, well, Carpenter, you know, he wrote his own stuff and he wrote and produced and directed. Yeah. Yeah. So there isn't like you have to have one and not the other, you know, and that was a cool thing about uh, of the whole process was that you could, you know, I could do many things. We could wear many hats and, yeah. it, you know, we'll be fine. You know? Yeah, our business is so much about one person does one thing and that's great. And, you know, that's phenomenal when you have the best or whatever it is. But there are a lot of things that you can do really well if you work at them for years and years to the point where you can start doing some other stuff. Um, I mean, I've been directing for so long. He's been writing music for so long. It doesn't mean we can't also edit or direct something else or shoot this or write that. Um, you know, you learn o over time. And when you start something fresh, then it becomes, you know, not so, so fresh. It becomes practice after so many years, too. So I love your yeah. enthusiasm. It makes me want to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I very that. Great. That's what we hope people do. You know, it's like yeah. you got something you want to do, like, I really don't believe there is any barriers to entry other than a lot of times just people are kind of like worried if they can really pull it off, you know? And I think ultimately you can, if you just kind of get in that space and like fight that battle, you can, you know, it certainly helps to have fought a lot of battles like it though. Um, because you kind of realize like, Oh, well, I'm not going to step in that pit again. <laughs> yeah. um, or, oh, there's another one coming up. I know how that's going to go, whether it's with it, you know, whether it's with maybe a performance or, you know, a piece of camera work, or a, a problem with a weather or a location, you know, it could be a hundred thousand things, but when you've seen them before, you kind of know how the scenarios could play out. Yeah. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Hi guys, my name is Jameson Locasio and this is Adam Ambrosio. And this is Dark Discussions Podcast where everything scary, cool, and sci-fi is coming to you. So... What is the significance of the book with the videre audite desere? I kind of looked this Latin up to try and see what that was, oh, what yes. that meant, but well, it didn't I, really, I didn't understand what it was trying to say. <laughs> well, it's, it's hear evil, see evil, speak ah, evil. Yes. So audite, okay. auditory. So, yeah, from no fear. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's so, what I thought. Okay. Yeah, that's I, what I, I thought. Yeah. Recognize that from there. Yeah. yeah we kind of saw an opportunity. Nice placement. Like, yeah. They, yeah. We, <laughs> we saw an opportunity to kind of bring like all of our stories together and kind of be like, hey, are these things connected? And we had like a lot of 
crazy conversations about like what is the film valor the whatever we want to call it our friend matt calls it the valor the film valor verse or something like that oh yeah but, you know like what is the uh a shout out to spawn x1 by the way because he'd love that um but yeah our friend that works with this a lot um so we talked about it and we kind of figured like hey maybe these things could be connected and and what does that mean and maybe they all kind of fit in some sort of like you know dimensional space where we're you know or why not why couldn't we do um yeah so that was that was in there and uh we're hoping that somebody who saw no fear would be like hey that's not related to this but it's related to that right right yeah, yeah. Nice. now uh, well, let me ask you about uh the prologue uh because um that was a pretty um gut-wrenching uh uh start to a, a horror film uh there, there's a scene in it and um I, I just, me and Barrett just saw a film called Barbarian, and, and you guys may have heard about it. Um, and there's a scene in that where where folks, this guy goes into this house, and he owns the house, and down the hall, just hear some some screaming, a woman screaming or something. And so when that happened, and when I I saw this film here, and I saw uh, what happens in this film here. It uh, kind of reminded me of that, um, and, and the thing that that's harrowing about that is you could walk right by the building, and you may not hear anything, <laughs> yeah. and yet the moment he walks, oh, he pulls up the garage and he walks inside, and and you know he's calm about it. He's not freaking out when he hears noise or screams. You know that that okay, this is this is the guy, and this is the the bad. The, what, something bad is, is going to happen. Um, what, what, what? Uh, how did you get that idea um, to to like like have the the little scream in the background, but it's smart. The audience is smart enough to know that if you're just walking by when the doors are closed, no one would hear it. Because I think that it's it's pretty much saying that you know. Even your neighbor or the person you know the mo the best, it, it could be in right in front of your eyes, and you wouldn't know. You know, and, and I think the whole movie is about the veil that's over, you know, uh, uh, people's eyes, really. And it, it's that that this okay, this uh, mechanic me uh, mechanic could be some uh, devious person or whatever and you could just walk by on the, the street and you wouldn't know with all the cars going and all that stuff yeah so really i think that's what made it uh, what makes it kind of scary is that you don't need to i think what in ideas of evil and fear that it's not always you know the uh, guy in a red cape or with the you know the horns and the big, big teeth yeah it could be something like a grandma or it could be yeah. something completely innocent, you know, because that's the, the the twisted nature of of life in a sense is that it, you know, it could be anything at will. And so I think having, yeah, having the uh, the walk in, and then you finally hear, you know, what's happening. It, it kind of gives a, a, a situation that, or you put the audience in a situation where they kind of become the camera person at first. They walk into it and now they're locked in there. Once they start hearing the, the screaming, you yeah. can't turn back, you know? 
Uh, so it's, it's yeah. all about the curiosity and uh you know and also there's like this whole tradition whether it's you know it's then hitchcock that then passed the carpenter but and then in some ways now can't pass the art generation i guess you could say but you know hitchcock opens a movie which was one of his first silent pictures um with uh, a point of view of a killer and adam i think it really was more the thrust of this concept too because um, we kind of had two stories each, I'll just digress and say. Well, this was the newest one. And this one was the newest, and it was the last one. And I, I think he felt strongly about it. Then I kind of put my own elements into it, and I operated the camera, I didn't say, of course. But um, I thought that was great, because it followed a tradition. You know, it's in the beginning of Halloween, because Carpenter, I think, was following so much of Hitchcock. Now, I don't know if we were looking directly at that, but in a lot of ways, I think it just made sense, because, you know, we were so influenced by that movie, like, hey... If you if you become part of it, you're part of this unstoppable force. You kind of have a greater sense of understanding of how unstoppable it really is and how present it is. And it makes it much scarier because you're not able to look at it and say, you know, I could take it in a fight. It's just like omnipresent. You know, you are part of it and it, it's just there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the, the great thing. But also we wanted to bring it into a realm where there was a, an occult or there was some sort of thing that was unexplained that we can maybe bring back. So it just kind of felt like the right way and it, its connection was a little less important than its idea, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, we were quite happy with it when we saw it um, because it felt like that. Yeah. yeah. I liked how the, like Phil brought up the screaming and how you wouldn't hear it outside. I mean, Dahmer lived across from somebody, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, there were signs and people just don't see those yeah. signs or they don't hear them or they're oblivious to them. I mean, that's, it's a great way yeah. of showing that. We, you know, it's right there on the street, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, that was so, it was such a great way to do it. We, you know, we, we said, you know, let's not include too many people, but just imply that they're there. And then we realized, oh, well, there's a, there's a highway of people going by right here. Let's, let's do that. You know, and it just became more and more so, wow, they're right there and he's right in here. So yeah, that happened kind of very naturally. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you just never know, right? What's behind the door. Right. And that the shutting of that door was very scary. I'm not gonna lie, because I did I I mean, we were shutting that door once or twice, but like when you got into there, there was that feeling that you were just trapped and it made a big scary noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have had 20 to 30 candles or something yeah we and adams did a great job you know really setting up that that you know that whole candle shrine thing that was happening that was all him i just let him i felt that was his thing and he was doing it great so i just stepped back and put on the camera on the right settings and said let's see where this goes but he really dimensionalized it yeah no that it looked like you know yeah so i think that was that was awesome what i thought we're also trying to like channel the ninth gate as much as we yeah. Can. So uh, that's cool. There's nobody talks about yeah. that movie. I love the ninth gate, so that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's a great like, movie. Yeah, but people like you know that's like one of our like whoa the ninth gate constantly. And, so. and I think that's where the intro kind of came in. It's that because yeah. the ninth gate, it's that it just kind of hits you in the face with something, and you're like it's a for you know foretelling of something to come. Yeah, you know, and so we wanted to have that same effect because it, you know, if you've seen the Ninth Gate, it's a pretty good. Uh, yeah, there's intro. this feeling constantly with Johnny Depp where you feel, and I think Polanski does do a great job of this, where you feel like you are just kind of looking into one thing that goes much, much, much deeper as the story progresses, and it's really the simplicity of that yeah. that gives you that much dimension because you're like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, he walks on the street and he's a normal guy, 
Um, I mean, Dean Corso is just a regular guy, but that little jazz weird score that keeps happening. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's something so simple about that. But as he gets deeper into that hell, it's like, whoa, this goes so much further than he could have ever imagined. And it's so scary. So even in our own titles, we tried to create that sense of dimension of there being, you know, this other plane beyond the words that we don't really understand yet in this film too. We tried to, so again, we tried to channel the ninth gate, <laughs> you know, like what we think is effective about it. So. Uh, I was just going to, I guess you sort of touched a, a little bit, uh, but the different location shooting that you, ch- or you made for choices was the scouting process for the locations difficult or tricky or like how do you go through that process? Um, for this film, it was not too bad. I think, uh, no. I mean, really, we asked uh, a nice guy who owned a paintball field uh, if we could just, you know, use his uh, his field or his woods that he had. And it was uh, it was nice. Yeah. And also, we did. I, I, You know, it was so long ago. I'm trying to sort of remember. But we did scout some other locations for the worst for the worst story. Um, and it was in kind of closer to where I come from in, in Clinton, New Jersey. And we wound up kind of finding the Blood Beach location there, but then finding the war story and everything we needed for Encounter Nightly, like much closer to us here. Um, and that wound up being better um, because the original story for the war was a little different and we were very specific for what we needed. And we kind of found that the environment of them being by a tree and everything else just made it a little bit cooler looking. It was more interesting. So we did, yeah, we scouted them. We test shot some locations. We really did go through an official scouting process on everything, but it kind of just fell into place easily. And that cabin was not like what we wanted at first. We kind of just made that work because, I mean, that cabin was smaller, is smaller than this bedroom. Um, (laughs) I I could tell. Yeah, it was very tiny. So, I mean, we were on like a 35 millimeter in a a room that tiny trying to throw a camera around and actors. It was crazy. There was a point where I was saying to Adam, like, just get everyone the hell out of here for a minute so we can just like think of what we're going to do. There's too many people. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, but the locations went well. Yeah, they, they weren't a problem at all. I mean, even for the, the pizza parlor, pizza I mean, parlor was, was easy. great. Um, no problems there. We weren't rushed or, no. you know, pretty cool. Locations um, were fine. They just felt the right. Truth, where we shot Encounter Nightly and Harrowing was this nice paintball slash campground that I kid you not, it looked exactly like Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. And it was the worst thing ever because you're, you're in a, you're just standing there and you see all these cabin, the cabins, the lakes, the trees, and you're just waiting for that music to chime in <laughs> or, you know, wait for Jason to just come around a tree or something because yeah. it was picture perfect. And it was also pitch black at night. There was no lights. There. Yeah. So that line they say yeah, about so, there being no light pollution is true. I mean, there was nothing yeah. out there. I want to. I mean, insects, so, bugs. Yeah, and also, the, yeah, the insects were insane on mm-hmm. on harrowing. It's like if you had a fear of bugs, you just gave it up. It was too much work yeah. to do. <laughs> I mean, it was very. Yeah. We were all just sitting there with them in that environment. It felt very authentic. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. So, but no, yeah, the, the locations were not a problem actually. I, I, because we structured it out to being. Um, a one-day shoot, one um, one short a month. Yeah. We were able to really, like, you know, 
focus, really focus, yeah. get into the world of what that needed, you know, get costumes shipped, get pieces shipped from the United, you know, from the UK, Nazi uniform stuff we needed that you can't just get anywhere. Um, yeah, and it was just so, it was very carefully done. You know, people think of low budget and they don't think of it as being careful, but I would say we were like the most careful on this one because we're like, it's only us. So let's make sure that we have all the things we need and then we'll go out there and just kind of go. Um, and that was effective. We really didn't have any problems for what the stories yeah. we were trying we to did a, I, I'd say we did a lot with a little. Yeah. You know, so I was, I'm happy by doing that. Yeah. Exactly. But I think that's hard to do. Yeah. You know, or, you know, <laughs> Because you could think of, oh, you, you have a bigger budget, there's more cushioning for everything, but then you kind of set yourself up for more doors that lead to problems to be open. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to do that. So we were very happy with the, yeah. you know. And also the, the actors were, cat like, because we were in COVID, you know, we did try to adhere to some rules and try to be really good, but we also didn't force anything. You know, if they we, we asked them to be tested. We had no transmissions, though, um, and most of the time we were outside. But we cast the whole film remotely from computers. You know, we just said, oh, these guys look good. We did video auditions with them. But then we also rehearsed them on Zoom, just like this. You know, they read the script together. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of, you know, becoming familiar with each other. Um, and we because we didn't have the time to do that really on set at all. Um, and that worked. Yeah. I'm going to ask one part uh, to this, if you don't mind, because you had mentioned New Jersey. Have you guys got to do any work in the New Jersey Pine Barrens? Uh, no, we've done. We've never done really anything. Honestly, we've never Jersey done Devil. Else. Yeah. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> and the Sopranos. Road. <laughs> road. Yeah. Yeah. We we've only really done stuff kind of like in this area i feel like and also mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 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 sorry to say i'm blanking on where our cabin location was and i just don't remember yeah i always forget the name of that place because it was such a weird place um but it was great uh but not that far from here and most of our movies have been shot in montclair new jersey um really caldwell caldwell new jersey i mean no fear was entirely in montclair um it's actually the depths was shot in west uh west new york new jersey Right. Um, and then Sunset was done entirely here in Little Falls, New Jersey. So um, that's kind of like our extent of leaving, you know, or we've just been around here and made those locations really work cool. for us. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have a question about the harrowing. It it felt um, strange on a personal level. Just these these guys appear to be when they get to the, this point in hell. Um, where did the idea from this come from for this come from? Um, I think it was a few years ago because I think the heroin and uh, what was it Blood Beach? We were we kind of had in our back pockets as a full feature film. Um, yeah, but then we kind of rewrote them because we wanted to do an anthology, but the heroin was just it just happened. I just woke up one day. Um, and I just thought of something, just of these, you know, three guys really just sitting in a, in a, a three a soldier sitting in a trench and they, you know, they're getting fired upon, they can't see anything missed and they just realize they're in hell. And it was, um, originally, I think just a statement, not a, 
not anti-war or anything like that. It was just a, it, it was the overall theme of how dark they pray and how people, what people will do in their own convictions and their own beliefs and how, and what extremes do they go to or how dark will they go in their own minds for their, for their beliefs. And I thought war was a very touchy subject because it, it does go on the boundaries of you are killing a person. Even if you're doing it for what you feel the right reason is, you're still murdering the person. So we're, you know, so if you believe in your convictions and beliefs to do the act, will you have enough belief in conviction to accept whatever happens after that? And I thought it was a, it's a, I think it's a touchy subject for a lot of people because uh, we've seen soldiers die for nothing and, 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 and also die for courage as well. And I think it's something, a, a topic most people should be thinking about because it, that's the, the power of belief. You know, we, we've come a long way in, in, in the name of good in our beliefs, but we've also, there's been a lot of evil stuff. And uh, it was really to think of if everybody's in that pot, whether it be um, American soldier, a French soldier, or a Nazi soldier, do they all go to the same place? Is there a common law that says, well, you know, it's for everyone. And it doesn't matter what your really your beliefs are; these are the rules. And in, in, in to tell you too, you people could take that as you know, a, uh, with the Christianity, Christianity faith, or any type of faith really. I think uh, they all deal with um, you know what you do in this life will de- determine what happens in the next one. Yeah, and. Uh, I thought it was just a, it was a dark story that needed to be told in a sense, um, because I think that's what haunts you know many of us is that what do we do in this life? Is it good enough to yeah. if you believe in you know an afterlife? Is it good enough? Is it enough to get in you know to pass a security guard? And yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll say this too. He had this. This was Adam's story, um, as well as Blood Beach. And so Nelly and Counter Knightley were really the two that I was bringing in. Um, but it was a particularly tricky story to try to develop because you have to approach it from a little bit of understanding where they're going, but not revealing that. And I think it was not until we really saw Twilight Zone. Um, there's this, there's an episode, Six Characters in Search of an Exit, which actually Rob Zombie turned me on to because he was talking a little bit about that. Um, so once we had seen that approach in Twilight Zone and we were thinking about it in terms of World War II, I think that's when, that's when that one really started to develop into, okay, that's something we want to shoot, even though it's very challenging and, um, and, uh, and period and everything else. Um, it'd be almost impossible as a full feature, uh, but, but in a lot of ways, maybe more effective as a shorter piece, you know, um, so yeah, that's kind of how that one came to came to happen. Yeah, and a lot of the, uh, I think the, the whole how, how dark they bred left it all up to the imagination a lot, in a in a, yeah. in a carpenter style, um, because there is no uh, right way of thinking about it. I mean, we, we talked to many people about blood beach heroin, and they they've had all different ideas. 
yeah. and, and beliefs about it, which were, that we've never even thought of. Yeah. But, you know, is if they believe it enough, it's true. That's, you know, exactly. that's the message of the, the movie, really. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Now, uh, yeah, now, now when, when you guys um, uh, made this film, you, you guys, actually, it was interesting because you, you, you mostly, a lot of times, anthologies are put together based off of um, uh, short films that were already made or pre-made uh, by the filmmaker, and then they put them together, and then they release it as a, a motion picture. Um, but you guys said that you came up with the idea uh on your own and went out to film the shorts as the feature um how, how did that idea come about versus say um how you know some other anthologies are made um yeah well i guess i could talk a bit about this um i think what happened was is adam had come come in uh, either to whatever it was for a meeting or i guess whatever it was with blood beach and I thought that was a really great idea. And it was sort of designed to be short form. And we're kind of at a point where it's not that we don't make shorts, we do. But for something that was horror oriented, I was looking also at a lot of uh, anthologies myself. I like the one that the guy who did Terrifier uh, did, uh, Tales of Halloween. I thought that was good. I saw Nightmare Cinema. You know, there's some campy stuff in it or, or whatever you want to say. And it, it, it is sort of strange sometimes. But um it was, it was cool. Project Blue Book I was watching a lot of. So when he kind of came in with Blood Beach and we had already had, um, uh, you know, the, the basic concept for harrowing, we kind of then took those two. And then I really believe it was Encounter Nightly that was third that was written. And that was from watching a lot of Project Blue Book and realizing that we kind of had a theme of faith, but we weren't really thinking about that that extensively. I think that kind of just happened, to be honest with you. Um, and then we realized that united it a little bit. Um, and then also then Nelly came in from my father. So we kind of realized like, you know, these, all these things could be, you know, could and should make sense together as a film. And, um, yeah, I mean, we thought about doing a tie-in and, and we sort of, uh, we, we basically then started working on that and, uh, yeah, but I still think they were treated so separately because it was almost impossible to think about everything at once, at least from a shooting perspective, because it's just too much. It's like it makes your brain, you know, go crazy. So you got to really be thinking about just those two actors or those four actors and then how they're going to make that world work and how we're going to make that world work. And then then you stop that process and go on. Um, so, I mean, I could say for me as a director, I like to just try to live in the world as much as possible. And uh, it doesn't diluting that does not work in my in my experience. So that's yeah, that's my at least what I think how it came together, right? No, yeah, I I think we were just also I think we also have other friends that you know we chit chat like every night, and you know one of them one of our friends Matt is he loves found footage, he likes anthologies as well. And sometimes he'll come to us with an idea or this a uh, movie we should check out. So I think we were, you know, just all talking and then it all just kind of fell into place because, yeah, yeah, we did have the heroin in our back pocket and uh, we did have uh, Encounter Nightly, essentially. And yeah. then, you know, Nelly was the actually the only 
new fee, uh, new, pretty much the newest one that we had. Yeah. Since the opening. Yeah. yeah. In Blood Beach, I really liked uh, the gentleman who played Leon. Is it Mark Lubbers? Yeah. yeah. He was um, awesome. So I was, he was awesome. I was wondering how much of it was your script and how much of it was his like charisma personality or like improving or whatever in that process to to make the character so um interesting Mm -hmm. yeah so um actually i think he's like a hundred percent on script uh and i'm not just saying that because we wrote it but he pretty much is exactly exactly the script uh um and it's not that we don't allow improv because like you know working with someone like michael rispoli like on our first feature it's like you know he improv a lot but that enhanced the work um but i think he's the kind of actor who likes to kind of just serve the purpose of the writing and i think he especially recognized that it was there um and the challenge in writing that script was an interesting concept that i think was kind of revolving around which was like how do you give someone this entire belief system that actually makes a lot of sense the more and more you explain it. Like, this is why you would believe this. This is why somebody who's vulnerable would get into this. You know, it's like completely thinking about it from that perspective makes it so much more believable, you know, because you're not just going to have someone come out and say, hey, let's just stab some people or something. It doesn't make sense. Um, So the more it was grounded in his charm and the realism and the something about his strength and charisma, I mean, he brought all of that. And we were looking for someone who was kind of like a Robert Shaw who, who had that element. We, we went through a lot of, a lot of Leons. A lot of Leons. <laughs> a lot of Leons who were yeah. uh, who yeah. what were having to Mark was so Mark was so likable that I think the concern with him was not if he was a talented actor, because we knew that. The concern with him was could he turn the screw into something very scary? Because he was so likable. Um, you just immediately liked him. But we realized we needed that and we needed a villain. And the more he was like that, um, the better. Because you really wanted to know more about him. You wanted to have a cigar with this guy or like sit down and talk to him. And he was like a father figure. And he was very warm. But I think one of the most exciting moments in the movie is when he talks about human sacrifice. Because he nails what could be what is basically like a B-movie line with such such incredible strength to the point where it's both like jarring and you could giggle at it, but it's also awesome. So, I mean, credit to him. I think that is such an awesome moment in the movie. Every time that I see that, I like giggle like like a, a school child because I, I just think it's so cool the way he's, he did that part. Um, but yeah, he was awesome. I mean, what can I say? That guy got to sit on the beach and smoke, smoke cigars. cigars. <laughs> it's uh you know, his old God, you know, thing. Yeah. And boy, did he do that. Yeah. And I think it was easy for Josiah to, you know, kind of just, you know, to try to, you know, to be charmed by him, but also to be like a little, like, where's this guy coming from? Because he was so on the money. Yeah. No, they, they worked very well together. Yeah. And and, and to tell you the truth, because that beach was pretty much, deserted pretty much maybe yeah. maybe one little party at the very end yeah if anything but it was it was calm everybody was enjoying themselves yeah and, and josiah and, and mark just really you know they hit it off i think it was yeah fun. you kind of felt like you were in a story like a lovecraft or something type of story because you had we had a legitimate every time we shot the one bad piece of uh 
luck that we had was we had storms come in on about two or three of the movies, which is a horrible thing for filmmakers to deal with. It's a nightmare. But in this case, we shot so quickly that the storm came in at the climax where a storm is supposed to come in the movie. Nicely so timed. We were also, yeah, I mean, and the rain was coming in and it just felt really right. It was like, okay, this is very unsettling and there's something like otherworldly about this guy here and these people in this place right now. So we just tried to capture that. I mean, it was all right there in front of us, I felt. Yeah. You know, and it's not always like that. I mean, you're kind you're trying to always create it, but it was there. Thank you. So we've said which are our favorite pieces of the anthology. Why don't each of you tell us what your favorite part of the anthology is? Um I, I like them all. I knew yeah, I you were going to say that. <laughs> I like them all. I, I think because really, because this, How Dark They Pray was a challenge in terms of us, uh, Jameson and I doing it ourselves and coming up with these stories that we knew that we could do within the scope of what we had. So really, it was, I would have to say... Yeah, I, I like them all. I think the, the, they all play a, a special part. They reflect, I think, what the overall uh, message of the uh, of how dark they pray is, is, and uh, they show very different sides of people's uh, wants and dark desires. Yeah, and uh, I think everybody could take away one that they might like or gravitates to. But yeah. for me, I, I because we were there and we did it, you know, I, I love them all or I'll hate them all the same way. Yeah, no, I get you know? it. So equal, they, equal, they get equal uh, treatment. I'll say this because this really is my, become my standard answer. I mean, I, I, I think they all have something of value. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done them. And I, like I said, I, I would never direct something that I didn't say, this is something we got to do. But I really like Encounter Nightly because I think it's a night, it's something that I could step back from and say you know this is a fun journey the type of thing we haven't done before that had a lot of nice comedy coming into it i really like the two guys i mean i would i personally would watch 90 minutes of that because i just i just like the whole alien you know uh journey those guys are on and i i you know even though we wrote it i i enjoy hearing the stories they say to each other and i think that's kind of like an audience pleaser to me i think it's got everything that you would kind of want you know um, without it going too far into, you know, um, kind of what everything is. Yeah. There's you a need... lot of good questions, I think, still. Yeah, no, I I, I think Nelly is also a good one, too, because it's, with the other ones, you don't necessarily get, you know, the typical horror, the blood and the guts and, and all the, you know, the other things that come with it. But with Nelly, you do. You get that, as I said before, it's like a, you know, dessert at the end of the meal. It leaves you with a good taste in your mouth. You know, you could, you know, you talk to everybody and you go home and you, and you feel good about it. And so I think Nelly definitely for the ending is, was the right decision and, and to make the choice of uh, having Nelly in it because it, there's a little bit of everything for somebody, you know. I definitely think yeah. it was perfectly placed at the end because it definitely, you know, leaves you with that. Ah, that yeah. was fun. <laughs> that's, that's what we hope for, you know, that's what we hope for. Now, uh, I have a question for you because uh, Barrett asked a, a pretty good question. 
but I was curious if there was any stories uh, because this movie is about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Was there any stories that didn't make it uh, uh, for some reason that you guys filmed? Um, I guess I'll answer this. No. Yeah. We never filmed anything that wasn't intended to go into it. Everything was intended to go in um, pretty much exactly as is. Right. Some things were expanded to add some atmosphere or whatever it was. Um, we did kind of work on it. I, I mean, I remember kind of thinking about another couple stories that we could have put into here. Um, we even thought more directly about doing something related to No Fear, um, but sort of quickly realized, and I think Adam was on the money about that, that it was kind of like better to leave that where it was for the minute um, and just maybe in our own little way connect some things. Um, but yeah, when we were looking at a lot of other um, movies like Tales of Halloween, we kind of were thinking about like, oh man, we'd love to do like a straight up slasher. Um, and we were talking about that. But I think we wound up kind of infusing like everything we love into all of them, you know, yeah. and hopefully that translates to people who enjoy, you know, a broad spectrum of the genre. Um, because there is a little bit of everything, sort of. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of how that wound up coming out, was like, let's not do this, but infuse this with that. Nice. Um, now, uh, Sean, what do you got? Uh, you kind of talked about it just a bit before, but I was going to there's I'm a bit of a wrestling fan, and... There's a gentleman by the name of Kevin Sullivan who used to do booking for WCW and stuff. And he always talked about when you're doing a show or story, or whatever, that you want to have something for everyone so that everyone, you know, can enjoy something. They don't maybe like everything overall or whatever, but there's always there's a one piece for that's, you know, resonates to them. And so I thought with your anthology that you did, you did a good job of giving everyone something to to gravitate or resonate resonate with and how much of that was a plan per se or and how much of it was just organically coming together for that um um, that's a very good question i think we would have never been able to uh and thank you uh definitely first of all but um i what i think about that is that we started really with the one that we wanted to hone into first, the most important, I guess you could say, on our agenda. And that was maybe, like you'd say, Blood Beach. And I think once we expanded with, you know, all of them after that, I think there was an element of, oh, well, what if we can also do this? We always wanted to do this, you know? And that was great because it was an exciting way to approach it. We really always wanted to do an alien uh, project somehow related, um, especially after watching Blue Book, which we thought was so phenomenal. Um, we want, always wanted to do some element of a slasher, um, you know, an old haunted house tale in black and white, certainly a dream of mine, yeah. um, a World War II story, you know, something in the vein of the ninth game, um, you know, something in homage to Hitchcock is kind of something I feel like I'm always doing, um, you know, so we kind of wound up, I think just like, you know, and, and Lovecraft, I mean, we're so obsessed with Lovecraft that it was kind of like, how can we do the really best version of a Lovecraft that we feel like is like, this is the movie that we really want to see, you know, how could, how far could we push that? Um, so that's kind of like, I think we just really went one step at a time, just like anything that kind of works nicely and said, wow, well, what if we can get away with doing this too? Yeah. Right. And, yeah, like, and, kinda- and also we were dealing with, you know, 
you know, the industry got hit pretty hard with COVID and whatnot. And so staying, you know, sharp, you know, was very uh, important to us to keep, you know, the body moving, the film valor body moving. And so, you know, really just, you know, sharpening our teeth with new, new ideas, new techniques, uh, filming, audio and, you know, music and whatnot trying something new just to create a challenge was a big uh, uh, part of it because we wanted to, you know, yeah, stay fit, stay sharp with everything. And, exactly. And, and, and accept the challenge, you know, because it is, you know, it was it's hard to make a, you know, independent movie to, to do anything, you know, do it in, you know, when there's a pandemic or whatever, then you're really setting yourself up for a challenge. But if you could get through it, you know, and you, you could get through uh, a lot of things. Yeah, and I'll say this. It was kind of like a cheat code in a video game. It's like, you know, you because honestly, it takes so many years and so much effort to try to get, like, you know, a, a decent budget together on a film. This was like entering a filmmaking cheat code because it's like we got to make four or five of the things we, like, would have maybe had been spending the next 15 to 20 years <laughs> trying to make, you know, all at and, once. And that's probably the way it was going to go. Yeah. If, if, if COVID know. didn't happen, like maybe we wouldn't have tried to do something like this, but it's like, Hey, you know what, you know, instead of going out and spending three years on a UFO movie or four years, maybe five yeah. years, you know, what if we can do that here? Like, Whoa. So to me, it was definitely like a cheat code. Like, wow, we can do this, 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 and this, so that, that like knocks four boxes off my list of things, you know, yeah, my, we, we really wanted to adapt to whatever yeah. the environment was. Thanks, guys. Um, so I have two questions. One, um, who thought of using the drywall saw, saw in the very beginning for the killing tool? I really like that. And then two, the Cthulhu. Um, you sounds like you really like Lovecraft. Have you ever thought about doing a full Lovecraft well, type I'll movie? Let, I'll let him answer. I think you should answer oh. the first, or then we would answer the both. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean. The saw. I, what do we do with the saw? Well, that was him because <laughs> I can't take credit for that. Although it's my hand in the clip. Oh, I mean, that's okay, <laughs> that's cool. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, and so that was cool that I felt like he let me do that because it was really me doing the whole opening, you know, and trying to imbue it with some level of a performance, which is not really my thing. Um, but you know, so he was the saw. The saw was definitely his choice, and we definitely put a little reference to a Jeepers Creepers into there too. If you could see around there, yeah. there's a lot of little things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the Lovecraft whole story, I mean, we probably both have pretty similar answers on this. Do you want to answer that? Yeah, you- no, I I'd love to, but uh, you know, I I, I think I've seen uh, so far all the Lovecraft movies that I wanted to see, kind of. I think, I mean, I get it. Like, I'm a big fan of the 1970s Done With Oh, yes. Awesome movie. Love it. That's his favorite. Had had no CGI. And, you know, nowadays I feel like you could get the CGI. Yeah. Could you see Cthulhu and Yogg-Sothoth, you know, appear in the CGI form? Yeah, you could do that. But I like the way it was done back then use your imagination that's what cthulhu should be right the imagination is worse than what you you see that's right exactly i'd love to i think with uh with that in mind and trying to keep it to what lovecraft intended it to be in terms of the uh fear of the unknown i mean i'd love to would people 
outside of Lovecraft gravitate to it? Probably not. They would probably say, well, we didn't see the monster at the end. <laughs> Yeah, like the truth is, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd love to do. I would love to as well, and I. But I'm also like reticent because I know the expectation from it is so different. But also, you get crucified. You get definitely crucified, no matter what. Pretty much on that. But yeah, it's like it was nice for this because we were able to suggest it and come in it backwards, and so people are just kind of hit with it suddenly. They have to react with it as an incoming fire rather than anticipate. In a lot of ways, I would think. Um, and I think that's more effective because if you could see it coming from a mile away, it kind of just ruins his whole vibe. I mean, his the Lovecraft was so good about like the last sentence is the punch in the throat, pretty much. It's like, oh man. So um keeping in that tradition, it's so hard to adapt his stuff because he so much works in the unthinkable, you know, and the uncalculable, the you know, the immeasurable. You know, so it's so difficult doing anything like that. So trying to do that, like keep, you know, keep honest to that was a real challenge and something that we really love so much to the point we know how difficult it would be. And I think in a lot of ways, Carpenter in um, in a movie that he loves too, in The Mouth of Madness, got yeah. so much of that really right yeah. because he was able to play on tangible, practical effects, um, which is something yeah. that definitely inspired No Fear. So like Lovecraft... Is it works as like an injection into something, uh, almost more so than a straight-on fight uphill, because that's pretty much what it is. Um, I think about it as like incoming fire, but um, yeah, it's 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 definitely a, a hell of a challenge because you don't want to show something if you're really being honest to the work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to know that you love uh, the Dunwich Horror as much as uh, I do. Uh, I think it's an under underappreciated film. Right. The poster's on his it's wall. It's on my wall. Got the poster on my wall. Run it. <laughs> he loves it. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. Um, I, I I got a question for you uh, about um, the stories and the transitions. Um, we've seen so many. Uh, anthology films and some they have like a wraparound story or a story that has has little pieces in between um, and then sometimes we have like placards that introduce the story and and things like that you guys did it um, a, a way that I feels different than than what I've seen before uh, where did you come up with that idea to just go to black and then, and then start the next story well, this we talked about a lot yeah I mean, we went through a lot of different changes uh you know yeah i felt like you know like a lot of things i feel like filmmaking in so many ways over the years we've learned and it's you know you never know everything going in you just don't and you discover so many things along the way but sometimes the less is more approach works the best and we kind of sort of were going to define define the in-betweens but we realized that would they would lose a little bit of their strength uh sort of trying to define their connective tissue and, and what that was about so, yeah, like, you know, in so many ways, it's like David Fincher talks about this a lot. It's also about what you don't do. It's about what you don't shoot or the thing that feels right. And so we kind of wanted to leave that void there because we felt that it was more effective for the piece before it and then didn't give you too much into the piece following it. Um, so and that, you know, a little bit less of a budget concern, more of a how do we make the last one the most effective and then clear the slate for this new one? Yeah. Nice. Now, um, th th thanks for, for joining us for sure. Um, but uh, we wanted to ask uh, some just uh, um, 
I guess follow-up questions, which would be stuff like, uh, what do you guys have planned next? Uh, if you want to uh, let folks remember No Fear a little bit and explain what that's all about. And then, of course, uh, where folks can uh, follow you and find or, or even contact you if you're going to, going to be at a convention or uh, where they can find also your films. Now, now that was a, like six or seven things I asked you at once, but hopefully you guys can remember <laughs> you that. You writing them down? Well, I wrote them down. He's, no got, he's got I got this. So first of all, No Fear is a real cool story. I hope that people like that is actually connected to this world of horror. And you might get a real hoot out of it if you liked how dark they pray. There is a connection point. It's about a family that's actually divided three separate uh, abilities to fight an entity, one of them to see the demon, one of them to hear the demon, and one of them to basically speak in the demon's language. So you could check that out. No Fear is available on Plex, Tubi, lots of other ones, definitely on Prime. Uh, also, what are we working on next? That's a very good question. We have a feature film that we're actually working on a script for, which is way different than things we've done before, but has a bit of a horror vibe, uh, and maybe more of a bit than a horror vibe. Uh, but it's in the world, and it, and it's interesting, maybe a little bit more leaning towards the Nelly side of things with it being a little funny. Um, and, uh, you know, we're working on also the part two to what is called our Battle Royale series, which is kind of like PUBG and Fortnite meets Star Wars. And we're working on that specifically for our YouTube channel. That's bigger, better, more special effects, uh, as well as a collection of our shorts that are going to be put together in a volume one, kind of like the way Neil Blumkamp did. Um Beyond that as well, uh, we're always working towards the next thing. And we're very excited to say that How Dark They Pray is, is available right now on Prime Video. Um, so you can check it out today. It's going to be releasing on some other platforms as we go along. But if you want to stay tuned to all things Film Valor related, the best way too is to go to Film Valor on YouTube. That's where you can follow us. We have our movie trailers on there. We have everything else. We'll be we'll, will we be at conventions? No, but we will be here talking to as many people as possible out there in cyberspace because there is not enough Lysol in the world for that. No, but the reason why is that we're we're here. We we talk to loads of people actually just from our computers, which is great. So yeah, I think that's, I think that I, did we get them all? I think you got it all. I think I got them all. All right. 10, 10 for 10. All right. So <laughs> check us out. Film Valor on YouTube is where we got everything going on. And we still have a bit of a press run on this one too. Um, but yeah, How Dark They Pray is out there. And we hope people enjoy it. What do you say? All right. Thanks a lot. Um, uh, I think that pretty much I, all I had. But yeah, uh, you guys uh, let us know when, when uh, you get some more stuff coming out. Uh, we'll definitely bring you back on. We'll and definitely want to check out your uh, next film that you're making too. It sounds uh, interesting because you said it's a little, a lot different, and it does have a little bit of a horror vibe. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it might be vampire related, you know. So might, we got all those things going on. A little yeah. pulpy and weird, and I think you know, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Pulpy and weird are good. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So it's gonna be fun. Cool, cool. All right, great. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your excellent questions. And we're just we're just happy to hear that people, you know, enjoy the film in any capacity yeah. is great. I mean, whether they love it or hate it, hopefully love it. But you know, if they get something out of it that they can talk about, then we're very happy that those years of work are are worth it just to hear anyone say anything like that. So yeah. thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. We so much appreciate it. Yeah. If you ever want Absolutely. someone in like from the beginning of the project to the end, just kinda 
taking a gander at what you guys do. I'd love to do that. Okay, sometime. great. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, keep in touch with us. If you, you just want to, you know, film Valor at Gmail is, is where we're at. So you can send us any info you guys have there and we can stay more in touch. It would yeah. be, it would be a, an, a cool way to stay connected um, because email is kind of where we live. You know, we don't do the whole DM thing too well. That's cool. <laughs> we're more old fashioned, I guess. So there you go. We're there. Awesome. All right, my friends, uh, appreciate it. And uh, good luck with this feature film. Uh, once again, find it on Amazon. Uh, it's available for rental right now. Um, and, and a pretty good price, too. I think it was $2.99 when, last time I checked. And uh, brand new film. It's uh, worth checking out. So uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Good seeing uh, you again. Thank good luck with the you. film. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. You, too. Talk all right. to y'all very soon. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Uh, now, uh, Barrett, yeah. uh, with all that stated, why don't you lead us out? Thanks uh, to all our listeners for joining us. Um, this has been a fun ride. Uh, this is Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews signing out. Deep down, I do wish we had one. Like, just one. One what? One real one. I mean, there's got to be more out there than this in the universe. There are some things much beyond our comprehension. Ancient designs. You know there's a darkness deep in these waters. Once it wakes, a new world order will begin. Everything will burn in this world and be made new. Pop, pop, pop. What's with that crowd gunfire? Americana! You saying my boys are gonna shoot at us? Is that what you're saying? Would you say that you're a woman of strong faith? I am. So how do you factor in the existence of aliens and still believe in God? Well, I've needed my faith more than ever in these last 12 days. Can you tell me why that is? Because this is the worst kind of evil imaginable. Pure evil. They're gonna kill us. Well, we are not dead yet. 